Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello everybody, it's Julian DeStoop sitting in for Sam Edmund. Welcome to the show, made possible by our friends as always at Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Today we're joined by a man, it's actually his 45th birthday today, but he's already has a lifetime of football experiences. As a player, Jade Rawlings was a high-flying defender at Hawthorne, a power forward at the Western Bulldogs, and he finished his career alongside his younger brother Brady at North Melbourne. Since retirement, he's been an assistant coach at four AFL clubs, a caretaker coach at Richmond in 2009, where he was famously dubbed Jade the Blade. He's coached in the VFL, and just last month he guided Norwood to a thrilling victory in the SANFL Grand Final. Jade, first of all, happy birthday, and thanks for your time. Good on you, Jules. Thanks very much. 45 has uh, crept up on me. It, it's We only scratched the surface there, but for someone still so young, it has been quite an amazing journey in footy so far. It was interesting. I was talking to someone the other day. My whole adult life is, was AFL footy until two years ago. And, yeah, now I've turned 45 and my whole adult life's been involved in footy, playing or coaching. And, yeah, there's a lot of experience that comes through that and a lot of good. Very gratuitous for all the opportunities and a few setbacks on the way, which is when you're in it for as long as... I have been, that's always going to occur. But uh, yeah, it's interesting when you read it all out, a lot's gone on, a lot has gone on the bridge over the last 28 years. Let's start with the present and you talk about you, you've ridden the highs and the lows. It certainly was a high last month. The Premiership with Norwood, I, I watched the last few minutes the other day and and the post match. It's fair to say you were struggling to contain your emotions at the final siren. What, what was what was the overriding emotion when that siren went and, and your team was, was just in front? Absolutely euphoria, Jules. I've never been involved in a premiership, so there's a lot that went into the last two years to be in a position to be in a grand final, let alone win it. And then the circumstances for those who aren't aware that we were 17 points down with six minutes to go and uh, kicked the goal with 50 seconds to go to be one point up and we held on. So the vision of me looks like I'm emotional, but it was actually beyond that. Not a tear came out of my eye. That's not to sound like I'm a tough guy or anything like that, but it was just that next level of euphoria I've never experienced before, Jules. So it was incredibly satisfying, uh, rewarding. There was so many parts to it. Norwood's a big club and it's our 31st premiership and it means a lot to a lot of people and people who are not from South Australia, I think are aware of the strength of their SNFL. They probably don't have the appreciation of how big the clubs are over here and it uh, was celebrated very well. Is it everything you thought it would be? The, the feeling of winning a premiership? It's interesting. I asked myself that today, and I, I think it's more, Jules, because you get the initial euphoria of 
the siren and the celebration and the people you embrace and the feeling of receiving the cup and lap of honour. But the enormity creeps up on you as time goes on. And we're only two and a bit weeks post and I probably don't still feel the, that it's real, 100% real yet. And I've never really had that feeling in my life before. So it's there's certain things that, along the way of what it means to people. Like there's some elderly people that's been their club, but it's their club more than it is an AFL club. So that's what probably the, the people outside of South Australia don't fully understand how big it is, the competition, what it means to people. Your final series was quite remarkable, really. I mean, it was a bit like Collingwood in the AFL. The fact that you got yourselves in difficult positions quite a few times, but managed to find a way. They've got a chance. Panos, if anyone can stand up, it's Matthew. Oh, my God, Mr. Magic has done it. No one in front. There it is. It's Panos. No one have done what no team has done. In the past 27 years, and that's come from behind at three-quarter time. They have sealed their 31st premiership, and they've got home by a point. Yeah, so we were able to get to the third position, and we had a pretty good bit of momentum in the back end of the season. We played the first final against Adelaide Crows, and they had, I think it was 16 AFL listed, and some pretty handy players, and they gave us a real smacking. And we find from experience you've got two choices when you're in final series like that you either go down positive street and keep everyone feeling good but you deny what's real or you confront it and look it in the eye and, and we went up the ladder and we had a real breakthrough and how we chatted to each other about what ex- expected of each other and what the capabilities are and we just kept looking at stuff from that first final and said that's not us that's not us and it was just on repeat so we're able to get some reality back into our game and the behaviours that go into being a Norwood team and player started to come back to life and Glenelg we were down early by three goals but we just our intent was really good and we got our form back and I think we won by five goals in the end and we got to face Adelaide Crows in the prelim with two weeks earlier was a 10 goal defeat and we were able to turn that around and win by two goals and some big plays in the last quarter and that got us in the position of being in the grand final against North Adelaide who were the best team through the year. So you've been at Norwood a couple of years at your time in the your last stint in the AFL didn't end well. North Melbourne, two years to go on your contract. Liam Pickering at the time was really angry how you'd been treated. Your, your younger brother was at the club as well. How do you look back on how that all ended? I'm a big believer that things end up happening for a reason, Jules. I don't want to be too spiritual, but I have felt that over time you end up places that are just the right fit at the right time. You end up in positions of adversity which is saying to you that this isn't right or it wasn't meant to be and there's no way two years ago was I projected I was going to be living in Adelaide and now we're going to be creating a life in Adelaide as a family so it was a blessing in disguise an incredibly challenging period of time through those COVID years for players, staff, coaches, board, supporters. It was much broader than just um, my situation so right. yeah, I, yeah. I have to admit I probably felt like I was part of furniture in the AFL. I'd Felt like I was doing an okay job at a place I've worked at and probably somewhere along got comfortable that it was the show was going to go on and that all got taken away pretty swiftly and um, my brother's my best friend and um, there's no one prouder of him than me for his own career, the person he is and the job he's doing at North Melbourne at the moment and so there was nothing deserving to fracture us but I could see it was a potential interest story for people to and the, and the footy and family have challenges. I'm sure the Silvani family would be able to talk to it. I'm sure the Viney family could talk to it that it, it does present challenges with the enormity of the AFL and the, the scrutiny and the pressure that comes with it. Speaking of challenges, as you said, Brady's your best friend. He's got some challenges at the moment. How often are you in sort of contact with him and he's got some spot fires he's trying to put out at North right now? 
No, he's, he's in a good spot. I know it sounds odd given the circumstances surrounding it, but they realigned themselves and he and Clark Buxton and Todd Viney struck up a really good relationship before what happened the other week and they were able to, there's no doubt with what unfolded that put some pressure on Brady's deals that he had going for the trade period. But as we've seen this week, that Darcy Tucker and Griffin Logan have been able to make their way to North Melbourne. So they obviously believe in the direction and, um, now Brady's a very resilient person, different personality to me, much probably a bit quieter and more reserved and, and doesn't yeah, publicly give as much of himself, which suits his personality. But he, he's very good at what he does. And in time, that'll be proven with the, the job he's doing at the moment. Just one on your coaching. If I was on a, a coaching selection panel and I said, Jade, what's your biggest strength as a coach and what's your biggest weakness? What would your answer be? Uh I love people, Jules. I've known you a long time and um, your role in the media. I like just getting to know people and I'm curious of what makes them tick and I'd like to think that people would see me as someone who's interested in other people and you know, my style as coach is to really galvanise groups and how to bring a whole club together and get people on, on message and really bring their, their strengths and capabilities to life. That's what I'd like to think I, I bring. Being a passionate person, that can bring strength and it can bring weakness and um, there's no doubt that passion can override and be mis- misguided at times and there'll be a weakness of mine over the years when you're so emotionally invested in the position you're in at the time that that can bubble over. And, and I've really educated myself quite well over the years and have more of an open mind to growth since I met the great Neil Craig in my life. He's really taught me how to have lived your best day and there's still always things that you can learn to do better. And like we've touched on before, the success that we've had at Norwood, I've Yep, I feel as though I was a, a part of that, but it was a whole club thing, and I've still got heaps more that I feel as though to to be achieved. So that keeps me energised, Jules, and feel as though that's what's going to make me a better coach and have a real legacy piece at Norwood. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Coming up after the break, we go back where it all started for Jade Rawlings, Devonport, Tasmania. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We're chatting to Jade Rawlings. Jade, you're born on October 9, 1977, to parents Des and Di. What are your early mem- memories of growing up in Devonport? Uh, very fond. Uh, it's a middle-class town of about 20-odd thousand people, a very big sporting town. There's a lot of successful sports people have come out of Devonport in a range of different sports and yeah, it was a great upbringing. My father was a slaughterman out of Abattoirs. And uh, then when I was about 10 or 11, my parents bought a business, which is a supermarket and a news agency combined to earn a bit more money to put us through private school. And in time, I ended up doing the paper round with my father. So we delivered 350 papers a morning and he'd get up at 5.30. I'd get up at 5.45 and had a couple of years where just he and I and incredibly great memories of that experience and so we were taught work ethic we were taught discipline and respect and those values of what i'd like to think of carried all three of us through our lives to this point and uh, but devonport still means a lot to me i played one game of senior footy at devonport and one game of first grade cricket at devonport and they were my two passions growing up and I thought oh, if i could do that i reckon i've lived a good life how many uh, we know there's your, your brother brady as well how many in the rawlings family 
Now, there's three of us. So I've got a sister, Casey, who's born on the same day, ironically, one year uh, younger than me. So parents were at it. Um, and my brother, yeah, Brady must be 41. Uh, so I'm 45, Casey's 44, and Brady's 41. Yeah, just under four years difference between yourself and Brady. We know, as you say, we went on to be a fantastic footballer, 245 games for North. He went on to win three Sid Barker medals there as well. A few healthy battles as a kid. Well, Brady's competitiveness was off the charts. For a quiet, humble, reserved person, uh, yeah, he would compete against all my friends in cricket, footy, and be able to stack up. So when you're picking two teams, Brady was regularly the second or third pick, not the fifth or the sixth, because he could compete, and that carried through in his career. And uh, an incredible career, like you said, Jules. We had some really good products out of Devonport, and uh, Brady's right up there with as good as any, in my opinion. You mentioned there growing up it was footy and cricket, like I guess uh, most young boys in the that grew up in the 80s. When did it become clear to you that footy was the one you really wanted to pursue? Well, it's an interesting story, Jules, because in 1994, I was near 11 and I was going okay with cricket and Tassie Institute of Sport had just created an academy for cricket and I was lucky enough to be part of that initial intake, which required every third Saturday of 1994 to go and train during the winter. So I stepped away from footy. I went and watched the Devonport under-19s Round one, I got itchy feet. Went and spoke to the coach and said, oh, was it too late to try and get involved in the 19s program? And he said, oh, you probably need to come and train for two or three weeks. But, yeah, we really open to it. And anyway, fortunately, he played me after one week. And I played four to five games of under-19s. I played five games of reserves footy. Would miss every third week for cricket. And then I played one senior game. And then it all happened very quickly for me, Jules. I wasn't part of the state junior footy program. Um, one night I got a call from Hawthorne about a month out from the draft. And it was just never tangible for me. I never thought AFL was something a young Tassie bloke was going to have access to. And my brother and I revered it so much, we just never thought it'd be real for us. And then within a month, my whole life changed. I turned 17. Three weeks later, I'm living in Melbourne, playing with my heroes. So it was, a, it was a very quick paradigm shift because of the choice got made for me very quickly. Before we go to draft day, what sort of cricketer were you? At, at your height, I'd like to think a, a big strapping fast bowler. No, well, you'd love to think that, but I was a wicket keeper, so uh, <laughs> I know it's probably underwhelming for a man of my height. But uh, I had a passion for wicket keeping, and I was Devonport Cricket Club was one of the most important clubs in my life, and they really looked after me as a person and taught me how to train and taught me how to be part of a club. So I used to keep and used to bat at three or four, and yeah, like you said, one of the big objectives was to play first grade cricket for Devonport and the day after I got drafted on a Friday I made my debut the, the Saturday against uh, Bernie Yeoman and got a duck and dropped three catches so <laughs> it was a, not, not a great debut Jules. I think you made the right choice so take us to, to draft day 94 Hawthorne had already used five selections included on Daniel Harford, Brad Scott and Ben Dixon and then your name is read out pick 94 second last selection live selection in the draft what are your memories of that day? I'm very clear with it, Jules, that in Tassie, this might surprise you, but it wasn't broadcast in Tassie <laughs> in 1994. It's a shock. Uh, so I was at school and I went home and my parents ran a business, like I mentioned before, and the, the shop phone was pretty busy, the house phone, and I picked it up and this guy from the local newspaper, the Advocate newspaper, said, oh, hi, Mr. Rawlings. He, because of my deep voice, he thought I was my dad. <laughs> he said, oh, just letting you know, your son's been drafted to Hawthorne with a six-pick, third Tasmanian, pick 94 overall. And, yeah, it actually... Just talking about it, it makes it really real again for me. Like, I haven't really spoken about it much over the years. And it, I went back to school after that. I, I hadn't heard from Hawthorne, I don't think, for a little while after that draft. And I ended up actually being the last pick because the guy went to North Melbourne 
a guy called Kim Ayers from memory. He never actually came over. So <laughs> I was effectively the last draft pick. But like you said, I got drafted with Brad Scott, Daniel Harford, Ben Dixon, two other guys, Nathan Saunders and Lee Fraser. So it was, uh, and back then lists were 52. So you would make, you're there to earn your stripes and the, the senior team had won a lot of flags. So it was a very, very unique, surreal experience when I first moved over. Did you follow an AFL team growing up? I was Hawthorne, devout supporter oh. one night. Any of my friends that would have, would know me and talk about how passionate I was about the Hawks. That's why it's incredible what happened, Jules, to, to play at 10 years of the club that meant everything to me as a kid. It's yeah, Sometimes those pipe dreams don't line up, but mine certainly did. So, you left, as you said, you left home at 17. You made your senior debut round 696 versus St Kilda. Pretty tough introduction. Your first 10 games were losses. Which, yep. which I think is... it was 1998 until I had a win. Yeah. And you managed uh, so twenty eight games in your first four seasons, so it was pretty tough going at that stage in ninety nine. Was there a, a fleeting moment you thought about trying to get to North with Brady? No, so what happened, Jules? In nineteen ninety six, I hurt my knee, and that's when Hawthorne and Melbourne were going through a potential merger. So that was quite an unsettling period for a second year player, and and I hadn't quite established myself. The back line still had Chris Langford in it, and Jonathan Robert had come over from Norwood, ironically, to play tall back. Um, which was my most likely in at that stage. In 99, I broke my leg in the second Ansett Cup game as it was back then. And it was an eight to nine week injury. And I was right on the back foot. And around 15 that year, I still wasn't in the senior team. And they took a squad of 28 to Brisbane, which was basically indicating that would be the squad the senior team would pick for from for the rest of the year. And I wasn't part of it. And I didn't handle it at all well. I, I was feisty. I thought I should be playing and... So there was more the frustration of just not being able to play. And I had, back then, you don't really lock these days potential trades and blokes not being picked. It's on the news. Back then, it wasn't at that, that level. And then I was playing reserves one day at Punt Road, and there were three emergencies that were all playing the first half. And they said, we'll take one of you to Adelaide for the senior game the next day. So I got selected. And then Nick Holland got sick in Adelaide overnight. And we were playing Adelaide at Footy Park on Sunday. I played the last six games of 1999. Ken Judge, the late Ken Judge. Moved to the West Coast and Peter Schwab came in as senior coach and then I became a senior player for the next four or five years. I was going to say, the turn of the century, it was a change of fortune for the Hawks with Peter Schwab coming in for yourself. T- talk us about 2001. You win your first eight games. You yeah. sort of splutter from there. In the last round, you lose to St Kilda, who was second bottom that season. Only won two games going into the last round. Yet three weeks later, you're a Trent Crow straight kick away from a grand final. Yeah, it's probably the most spoken about um, prelim final kick, I reckon, in uh, my time of footy. We we jumped out of the blocks. We were fit. We had an unbelievable human called Bowden Babachuk who got us really fit. Uh, we started to believe. We had a really good age profile at the time. Won our first eight. I think I, I think I had my knee operated in round six. So I had about four, three, four weeks out in the middle of the year. And we come up against Essendon in round nine. And we got absolutely beaten up, annihilated. They, used, they sniffed some blood and they went after us. We lost by 10 goals. And then I'm pretty sure we lost to Port Adelaide the next week from memory. And then we played North Melbourne. It was the first time I got to play against my brother. And we were seven goals to one up in the first quarter. And he came on and I ran over to him and said, man, what the hell are you doing on this field? As if you're going to change the turn of events. <laughs> he was always petrified that Dennis Pagan would see him talking to me. So <laughs> under his breath, he used some language which was not appropriate for the station. But we beat North and we got a bit of form back. And then the last game, like you said, uh, Barry Hall kicked a goal after Siren. And for all intents and purposes, it looked like we were going to be sent to Adelaide to play a final. But Something happened. I think Adelaide lost a game over in Perth. We ended up getting Sydney in Melbourne. So we beat Sydney by 10 goals. Unbelievable win. And then we, the week of September 11, that occurred on a Monday night, I'm pretty right. sure. Yeah, that's right. And then, and then we, 
uh, ANSAT collapse, collapse that week as well. So we were on a charter flight out of Windy Hill on a Friday night to go and play Port on the Sunday night. And John Barker had a migraine, was off the ground at half time, famously came back and huge impact along with Nathan Thompson. We, we beat them and then we copped Essen in a prelim and we just had something going at half time in the prelim and we took got some momentum out of that and Crody had unbelievable shot that I was standing right next to him. I just thought it was home and, and they got a couple late. But I think we would have got beaten up by Brisbane in the grand final the way they were playing. But yeah, I got really fond memories of 01. But it's the one that really frustrates me and my teammates as well. That there's no doubt that was our opportunity. I think we all thought the show was going to go on. And we came ninth in 2002 and ninth in 2003. And we missed that group and missed their chance. You're with This Is Your Journey, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll be back with Jade Rawlings after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today's guest is former hawk, dog and kangaroo, Jade Rawlings. Jade, at the end of 2001, it seemed like the sky was the limit for the Hawks. Yourself, along with Johnny Hay, Nathan Thompson, Nick Holland, Johnny Barker, you got this amazing spine, but the wheels gradually fell off over the next two seasons. What happened? Oh, we got sloppy after 2001, Jules. We we got to a prelim. We, As a club, I think we just thought the show was going to go on. There were operations that were happening way too late, which impacted pre-seasons. Uh, we, as a group, I don't think we challenged each other enough on uh, behaviour that wasn't going to get, make us be the best we could be. I think there were some inconsistencies with how we went about our footy. And that all got exposed and the pressure went up. That's what happens when you creep up the ladder. People expect more from you. And 2 we started really poorly. Uh, found a bit of form through the middle of the year, but said before we finished ninth. And that's where the frustration comes from as a player. You People say to you when you're young, like, this might not happen again, but you don't listen to it. You just think it's old people just being a bit trying to be too wise. But uh, we definitely missed the opportunity. So 2003, you play every game. You kick 34 goals in a sort of a new role as a forward, yet at season's end, you've got a desire to join Brady at North Melbourne. What happened there? Um, I started down back and started at 03, and we had some injuries up forward to Tomo and Nick Holland. So I got um, switched forward and started okay. So that became my position for 03. Jules, I had no intention of leaving Hawthorne. So there was a lot of back-ended contracts, which put the pressure on the salary cap. Uh, I was out of contract, never in my wildest dreams thought about leaving Hawthorne. So it's been 20 years now, a chance to talk about it, but it, it, was, it was forced upon me and it was really poorly handled. And I was in a position where someone had to go, but it worked out by the end of it and it ended up being me. I got off of a contract which was uh, offensive. Emotions running high with Chief Executive Steve Leeton telling supporters the club's offered Rawlings a new two-year deal with an option of a third. I wish to reassure all members and supporters that we have done and will continue to do all within our power to retain his services. Hawthorne were trying to use every mechanism they could to get Jade to recommit for two years, but they wouldn't give him any more than two years. So I, if they'd have probably come up with three years, he would have probably stayed. But they felt he had a degenerative knee. Had a couple of pretty heated meetings with the CEO at the time, Stephen Layton, and also Schwabby, Peter Schwab, and Johnny Hook. 
Hawthorne. And I know the club had the concerns with my knees at the time, which I can understand, but it was really unfortunate how it unfolded. And fundamentally, yes, there were options to go to other clubs, but it was through being forced to go down that direction. And, and yeah, North Melbourne was I got offered a lot of money from two other clubs, but I it wasn't worth the money that was being offered, just to be clear. But there was an opportunity to go to North Melbourne and it was to play my brother and the money was probably appropriate. Rawlings emerged from days of deliberation to make the hardest call of his football life, rejecting Geelong at the 11th hour to join his brother at the Kangaroos. My, my brother's my best mate and um, I see the Kangaroos with an enormous future and another good uh, window of opportunity to have some success. Yeah, there was some underhanded tactics that occurred that basically left me in no man's land, which then led me into a pre-season draft of which Western Bulldogs had number one pick, so that that was the conspiring amongst some clubs and some individuals to have that occur. I'll ask you about that in a second, but just going back to, to leaving Hawthorne, as you said, you grew up a mad supporter. You were clearly happy at the footy club. That must have really hurt. That wasn't the plan, Jules. And my my life at that point, and when you're a young 26-year-old, you think what's, what's now is what's going to be forever. And a lot of learnings came out of it. I got to go on and meet some great people beyond that. And I still retain great friendships from that group that I played with. Uh, it didn't quite achieve what we should have. But, yeah, I'm very grateful for what Hawthorne Footy Club gave me. When you go into the Hawthorne Footy Club, it is indoctrinated in you very quickly. It's not what you can get from the club. It's what you get, what you can do for the club, not what the club do for you. And so I'll, I'll always talk about how fortunate I am to have played for the club that I barracks for, supported, and still enjoy watching. The veal deal came about by... Um... Initially, Jade Rawlings wanted to go and play with his brother at North Melbourne. Swabby, coach at the time, wanted a player to replace of a similar body shape. Yeah, well, I think North Melbourne, they offered up a reasonable pick for memory. I think it was a first-round draft pick. We thought the offer of the North Melbourne had given up Hawthorne for Jade was fair. They didn't. They wanted more, and they wanted a player. Now, they probably obviously thought that at the last minute, you know, we'd have to do a deal. But we... In fairness to the club, and we had to protect Hawthorne's interests, and we looked at other alternatives and within the rules. And I remember speaking to Scotty Clayton, who at the time he was at the Western Bulldogs, who said, oh, well, we've got some interest. And we discussed the Bulldogs with Jade, but his heart was set at uh, going to, to North Melbourne at that stage. Hawthorne couldn't delist Jade Rawlings before the national draft because the rules of the time meant he could have gone to North Melbourne in that national draft. So they waited till after then, then delisted him so that he had to go into the pre-season draft. Managers and club officials arrived at AFL headquarters hoping to stitch up last-minute deals. The trade had to be done by 2 o'clock. We were working through a scenario with North Melbourne, still offering up, hoping to get the deal done to get him from Hawthorne to North. The trade fiasco began when Jade Rawlings reached the AFL's front door. Set to sign off on a move to the Kangaroos, the deal crashed. Amid a two-hour frenzy, the Bulldogs pulling off a brilliant stunt, satisfying Hawthorne by giving them pick six for the unknown Lachlan Veal. The Hawks then getting Danny Jacobs and happy to leave Rawlings for the Dogs in the pre-season draft. We're just trying to do a business deal, a business transaction, but unbeknownst to us, behind the scenes, uh, Johnny Hook and, and uh, the Hawks had cooked up a deal with Scotty Clayton, whose idea it was. We were fortunate enough or unfortunate um, to have first pick in the pre-season draft. We'd finished last. So um, so we weren't going to uncobble it. That was as, it was um, simple as that. It was, it was going to be... Um, it was going to be a, a, a big pick and, and veal and rulings, and so we just kept going. So when I say these three words, the veal deal, 
<laughs> what do you think? Uh, is it, it in life you go through a lot of challenges and life challenges always be more than football ones. But at that time, it was incredibly challenging because, like I said, there were people who conspired to create a deal where myself and North Melbourne were left in the lurch and it was happening around us. And, and without going to the full war story, I was free agency wasn't a part of football back then. And I was forced in the direction of either sit out of footy for a year or um, go to play for Western Bulldogs. And Bulldogs were very good to me. And I met some really good people there. It didn't work out at all, unfortunately. But it was, it was just Lockie View was the one. His name, keep, unfortunately, gets raised whenever this comes up. Like, I've been lucky to have a career and be involved in this industry. He didn't in the end. And it was really unfortunate for him as well that he was someone to still be drawn upon, in, like we're chatting about now, a young man who was playing Box Hill Reserves mm. as a Hawthorne player. And then he's at the Western Bulldogs. I don't think he played a game, the poor fella. Yeah, it was an extraordinary situation and it wouldn't happen now under the under the current rule. So how hard was it to get your head around becoming a Western Bulldog? I mean, you didn't want to leave Hawthorne. You wanted to get to North. The Dogs had finished last. They just lost Nathan Brown. How hard was it to get your head around and get motivated to play for the Bulldogs? Um, it was challenging because it wasn't what was supposed to occur. Like, if I'd engaged with dealings with the dogs where I'd said, yeah, that's where I want to go, it would have been a different kettle of fish. This is the meeting, filmed exclusively by Seven News, that sealed footy's biggest off-season deal, the Bulldogs tying Rawlings to a lucrative four-year contract at Melbourne Airport before he flew out to Fiji with wife Sam on their honeymoon. Yeah, really pumped, Hutchie. Uh... As you know, I'll fly it to Fiji tonight uh, in a couple of hours and to have it go through before I fly it sensational. The Bulldogs delighted President David Smorgan ringing through to offer his welcome. Well, dude, thanks a lot, David. Good to speak to you, and I'll uh, look forward to seeing you when I get back. Coach Peter Rode relishing a new bevy of tall options. All of a sudden, got a bit of height, and who knows, the Bulldogs might be able to stretch opposition teams for a change rather than uh, having them stretch us all the time. I just want to be clear that my time at Dogs was enjoyable. The people treated me really well. The circumstances didn't unfold the way that they would have wanted for me and, and just it was challenging for me from just what happened i felt betrayed by people that uh, i felt were engaging in dealings with how i ended up with circumstances I, I was in jules because it was there were some people being quite economical with the truth and uh, yeah that part of it was where i felt betrayed and um yeah it was quite challenging started well seven on debut was pretty handy <laughs> we'll see i could have done jules <laughs> expectations yeah, played, through the roof uh, we played west coast um I think it was 128, 125 or something. That was a full-blown shootout. And... and very early on, it's Sam Power driving it towards half-forward. And a dream start, perhaps, coming up for Jade Rawlings. The ball lands in his lap, and he'll have a look from 50 metres out. His first kick at a Bulldog jumper, he couldn't have scripted this any better. The one issue that uh, Jade has yet to address as a forward has been this accuracy. Yeah, from this position, he should, just, uh, he should put this through. But on the exposed form at Hawthorne last year, he's only 50-50. 34 goals last season. The kick from 50, holding up. Has it got the carry? Yes! Welcome to the Bulldogs, Jade. I think three votes. C. Judd, two votes. B. Cousins or D. Kerr, I think. They were red hot, the Eagles, back then. And Yeah, clearly when you have a day where you're able to kick seven goals in a game, it's very satisfying. But it was the worst thing I could have done because expectation went up. Yeah, I wasn't capable of playing on the best defender every week. I was really, Luke Darcy was the rock. He would come down forward every now and then, but predominantly I was the only tall forward. And 
So, yeah, I was, I was out of my depth with what was being asked of me. And, uh, but that's what happens when you cross over and the perception that I left for money, which was wrong, uh, increases pressure. It's tough to get three votes as a forward, isn't it? You kick seven and you can't get three votes. <laughs> well, the other two boys play pretty well, mate. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty handy. They're pretty handy. So 29 games, 32 goals and two seasons with the Bulldogs. Then you're off to North. That yields just three games before you retire. Just 28 years of age after 148 games and 96 goals. How do you ref- how do you reflect back on on the journey as a player now? And given that 28's not that old to retire. No, it's interesting. I've had a few people just recently ask me a bit. But I don't talk about my career much. I got quite embarrassed with how it ended, Jules. I, you know me a little bit, and I was in a good little sweet spot there at Hawthorne. Where I was, loved the club. We were going okay, and I was a week-to-week player. But at the back end, I, I was, my, my reputation was getting tarnished um, through the media. Yeah, I wasn't performing at a level that was probably expected of me. And I go to North Melbourne with an understanding of what role I was going to play. It didn't unfold. I got agitated. I was playing VFL footy at Werribee when I was at Dogs. Next time I'm playing for Tassie in the VFL. So I, I get a bit funny about how ended Jules. I know people would do whatever, but so many people would give so much to have played one game in VFL. And I know I got good gold at 12, 13 years, but I just get a bit embarrassed about how it ended. Um, I was, yeah, I was physically quite done with my knees and uh, mentally as well. I was quite exhausted. But as I get reminded that, yeah, the fortunate position of being able to play AFL for 12 to 13 years and not many people have been able to do that and I am when I do when you ask me I do reflect and think I'm very very lucky and I'm very happy that I was able to get exposed to that but I do get embarrassed about the back end of my career. How are the knees now? I'm not great I think anyone who sees me walking around would say oh how's the buckled wheel going? <laughs> Uh, there's some knee replacements coming, Jules, but I just haven't quite been able to find the time to get them done as much as I'm getting a bit of pressure from a few people close to me to get them done. We're talking to Jade Rawlings on This Is Your Journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Life. We'll be back right after this as Jade begins life as a coach. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Jade Rawlings has been our guest today. Jade, is it fair to say you were always destined to become a coach? I think it's fair to say even when you're a player, you're a bit of a footy tragic, a bit of a footy nerd. Was it always on the agenda for you? I, the longer I went into my playing career, I felt it was a transition I was pretty interested in. I, I liked being able to work with people to try and help them improve their footy and my knowledge of other teams and just the game was okay. And yeah, well, it definitely felt that it was something I was interested in. I had some thoughts on how I thought I'd go about it. And Terry Wallace was good enough to give me my first opportunity at Richmond. And I was on a footy trip in Las Vegas and I got a call from him and he was good enough to say, I know you're in a footy trip. Enjoy it. <laughs> give me a call when you get back. But they were looking probably to diversify their coaching group with someone who's got a key position background. And Terry really backed me in. He gave me, I worked with him for two and a half years, had a great friendship with him, but he taught me a lot in coaching. And But it was, a, as far as a destiny, I think it was a pathway that was suited my passion for the game and what I thought I could possibly enter into after playing. So you spent some time with their VFL affiliate Coburg and then midway through 2009, Terry's gone and you're thrown into the hot seat. Did you have any hesitation taking on the caretaker role? Oh, the best decision I made as a young coach was Coach Coburg in 2008. It was one of my most 
fond memories of my career having that year so this Richmond's a line club at the time and we had a great year we lost the first final against Frankston but I just love the capacity to try and have my hands in the club and I was still the forward line coach for Richmond in that year as well so it was a pretty big year but I, in 09 it was Ben Cousins arrived at the club uh, which was a big deal and Terry backed in and the guys of the club and Ben did his hammy in the first round we got touched up by Carlton and it was just it was just a bad feel about the start of the year and uh, unfortunately for to Terry, it became like a chat with him in the club that probably looked like it was going to end at some stage. So I was um, given a phone call to say that I might be considered as the caretaker. And to answer your question, no, I absolutely launched into it because I had the drive and the, the juices flying with Coach and Coburg at the time. And yeah, we all got put through a process, us assistants at Richmond at the time. And I was fortunate enough to be given the opportunity because it was 11 weeks, it was a significant period of time. And you can really try and have some influence in that period. And um, it was really challenging because I liked Terry a lot and he went through a hard time and then, yeah, I've been given this opportunity of a lifetime. So it was a challenging period to retain my friendship with Terry and him watch me go and coach his team fundamentally. But um, brilliant experience. I'll do it all again too, Jules. Did you think you were a chance to get it full time? No, I, I did at the time. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, you, you're just so wide of the, the juices are going. You think, oh, this is what I want to do. I was 31. There were a couple of passes. I didn't know myself well enough. I didn't know the game well enough. I didn't know the business of footy well enough. I thought I could coach, but I don't reckon I was a great educator. So I was. it was Damien Hardwick, Alan Richardson, myself, and Ken Hinckley in the final four. And I, when I look back, I was never getting it. I'd been at the club for three years. I still had so much to learn, like I just expressed to you. And, and Damien Hardwick's still coaching. So it was brilliant. <laughs> Craig Cameron's a, a great friend of mine, and he was pivotal to that process as Brendan Gale came on as CEO, and um, the rest is history. So your first game, you made five changes, including dropping distinguished veteran Joel Bowden, and there came the nickname Jade the Blade. <laughs> what do you think of that nickname at the time? Well, I didn't know what happened on the Friday. I had to do a press conference, and someone grabbed me just before. and said, I'll just say, you know, they've called you the, the axe man, Jade the Blade, and <laughs> I actually don't like my name, Jules. I could tell them to call me Twig. I hate my name. So, And I was in the press conference, and your mate Mark Robinson said to me, oh, are you a sheep in wolf's clothing? I didn't really understand the analogy at the time and I just said oh, I'm here to make decisions to make the club the best it can be and then I understood after that press conference the whole Jade the Blade thing and my mates absolutely jumped all over it a few of them still call me the Blade and uh, <laughs> we made decisions that were right and that's not directed at the guys who were omitted or anything like that it was about trying to realign what the second half of the year could look like and you get one opportunity in that position to call it make a statement or yeah Start from scratch, and that's what we decided to do. It started with a win over West Coast, three wins, a draw, and seven losses. The final tally. Just looking back at at your playing career, you played under Ken Judge, Peter Swab, Peter Road, Rodney Ede, and Danny Laidley. Then you worked as a coach under Terry Wallace, Michael Voss, Mark Neal, Paul Ruse, Simon Goodwin, Reece Shaw. Is, and is Neil it one? Craig. And, and Neil Craig, Craig of course. Craig, and yeah. also Peter Knights in my first year at Hawthorne as well. Yeah, and it's clearly Neil Craig's been a big influence on you. But is there yeah. one of those that's that's been a bigger influence than, and then the other. Well, Simon Goodwin and Neil Craig are two biggest influences on me, uh, in varying ways. Uh, Paul Roos was and I had a great relationship, and he helped resurrect what was happening at Melbourne, which was unfortunate. Uh, the period of time when we got really struggling, but well, Terry gave my first opportunity. So I've always been very grateful, and he taught me a lot. But Simon Goodwin taught me the game, 
Neil Craig taught me more about coaching and taught me about life. And I went through a couple of life challenges, which Neil supported me through. And the good he taught me about the game, taught me how to educate it, taught me how to keep a group on track, taught me about leadership, how to deal with adversity and losing. So I coached Casey Demons for 18 months while Goody was there. And so I got to action, things I was learning from him on the run. And uh, it's no fluke what Melbourne did in 2021. And Neil Craig's uh, been very influential to a lot of people in footy. And yeah, it's uh, not lost on me the impact he's had on me as a person and as a coach. And, and Goody, Goody's still a good friend. They taught me like, a lot of parts of to the technical elements of coaching and the game is with itself. So footy's still keeping you really busy as a senior coach, but uh, family life's keeping you pretty busy as well. <laughs> yeah, so it's an interesting setup. We try and run our family through three states in a different country. So my two older girls live in Melbourne and with their mum and their partner and they've grown up really well, 18 and 15. And I've got a stepson who lives in America. He's got a tennis scholarship over there in University of Texas. And got a stepdaughter, Millie, she's 17. She lives year 12 in Tassie. And, and Sally and I have got seven-year-old Macy and six-year-old Ed. And they live in Tassie. They have done for the last four years. So it's a it's a life that we've chosen to get the family through um, certain situations. And But they'll relocate to Adelaide in January. So that's a very exciting period of time. The, being a dad and a partner over FaceTime, is, this yeah. FaceTime has been a, a real saviour, but also it's got its challenges. Speaking of Tassie, you love Tassie, you've formed Tassie. You're confident they're going to get a team in Tassie. Yeah, it just gets done, Jules. It's... The business plan's been genuine. The people in the task force have been absolutely terrific, the work that I've put in, and it's not based on emotion. That's why I left with some confidence about three years ago when I first met a few people from the task force. It's no doubt that the the noise was going down a negative path about three three months ago, but there's no doubt it's back on track, and the the public will absolutely get behind it. It needed to be a licence. It was standalone. No one relocating. The public wouldn't get behind it. But the, there'll be 50,000, 60,000 members as soon as that licence comes in. I guarantee you the stadium will be exceptional and they'll have every chance to set up the right way. And there's some great Tasmanians that I think should be involved with it. And But it's about what sets this business up the right way from the start. And they need to achieve alignment and have people that understand the business of footy and what's going to make it successful right off the top. Because a lot of the, the drafting precedents have been set with Gold Coast and GWS, so there's a really good opportunity to set up well from the start. And finally, obviously, Norwood's where you're at at the moment. Is there a desire to get back in the AFL and a desire to still be a senior coach in the AFL one day? No, I, I, I was driven for many years to do that, Jules. Um, I've said to Nord, I don't ever leave. It was a job that I couldn't refuse, and that job won't won't occur. So, I'll be at Nord for a period of time. We're going to set our life up in Adelaide, and I'm very happy over there. The club's been so good to me. I, I love the competition, and like I said, the lifestyle I've had without the family being there, and they'll move over, and that'll be a life changer. So, I'm really looking forward to that new next phase of life. Well, Jade, it's been uh, great to catch up today. Uh, congratulations again on the flag at Norwood. As you said, it was a long time coming for you uh, to be involved in a premiership. You've squeezed a lot into over 25 years in the game and uh, with what you're doing at Norwood, there's still plenty of chapters uh, left to write. Uh, well done on everything you've achieved so far and thanks so much for joining us. Uh, good on you, Jules. You're a good man. I appreciate the chat. And thank you for joining us. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Jump online to find tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll catch you next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. 
It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.